Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Super excited uh, to share this. Something uh, just super powerful that God has been speaking to me over the past few uh, months. And uh, it, it all came together and just like hit me. And I pray that this hits you the same way. I believe it's going to give you a deeper understanding of what our year is all about here in Encounter Church, which is multiplication. We're all about that this year. And our slogan for the year, if you look on the screen, it's multiply the culture of Jesus through the words of Jesus. And where this slogan came from, it's not just, it sounds cool, but it's not just a cool slogan that Pastor Hunter came up with. It actually comes from the word of God. That's Acts 6, 7, and we're going to read that together. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And Acts 6, 7, thank you over there, yes. Yeah, that was a test, you know. You know, as a teacher, when I mess up, I just, I just act like, I did it on purpose. I'm like, I'm waiting for you to tell me the answer. So thank you for helping me there. As I've been thinking about this, though, I realized that multiplication is not just a cool idea. It's not just a cool slogan. And, you know, I realized that multiplication goes beyond just that. It goes beyond that. You know, it's actually a kingdom of God principle. That's how the kingdom of God works through multiplication. And I have a few examples for you. Genesis 1:28, God told Adam to be fruitful and multiply. A few chapters later, we have God telling Abraham that his seed would be as numerous as the stars in the sand. Talk about multiplication. And in the New Testament, Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples not just of his family or his friends, not just his neighbors or his neighborhood, not just his city or his state. He said the nations. He said make disciples of the nations. That's multiplication. You know, Paul's entire life was about multiplying the kingdom of God to not only his city, but to the nations. And I started thinking, you know, if, if I don't understand the purpose of multiplication from the perspective of God, then multiplying the culture of Jesus through the words of Jesus will always just be a cool idea. It will always just stay there. You know, it would be so cool if I come into the church with five new people with me. How awesome is that? I mean, it, it just feels nice. You know, I look, these are the people that I brought to church, but it will only stay that way. What if those people stop coming? Then your whole entire identity is based off of those five people and your identity is disappearing as they stop coming to church. So I realized I needed a perspective shift. I need to not see uh, multiplication from an earthly perspective or I'm going to mess it up because I always do when I look at things from an earthly perspective. And what I felt the Holy Spirit ended up bringing me to is the book of Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. And it says this, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above the heavenly thing, not on the things that are on the earth, which have only temporal value. For you died to this world, 
and your new real life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Amen? And I want you to point you back to verse 2. Can we go back to verse 2? Because this is the one that really stood out to me. Set your mind and keep focus habitually on the things above, not uh, above the heavenly thing, not on things that are on earth, which have only temporal value. And what I thought about is for me to set my mind on something habitually, doing it consistently, I must have a hunger for that thing, right? The first thing I thought about was exercising. You know, everybody wants a nice body. You know, everybody likes the idea of, of a, a nice body, but are we really hungry for it? Because I, I guarantee you, you know, people like my friend Cody, you know, like he has a hunger for exercise, you know, and he's going to get up and he's going to do the things that are required to do it. But not all of us are hungry, right? For that. I like the idea as well, but I, I, I'm realizing I'm not hungry for it right now. Maybe one day. So in order for me to focus habitually on something, I must have a hunger to set my eyes above habitually, I must have a hunger for God. That has to be number one in my life for me to want to always understand how God sees things. So this is what I felt the Holy Spirit was telling me. Having a habitual hunger for God opens the door to understanding the eternal purpose of multiplication. That's the only way I can truly understand what this multiplication is all about. And until I get to that point in my life where I hunger for God more than I hunger for my own understanding, I will always think of it as a cool idea. Yeah, our church is all about multiplication. But what does that mean to God? What's the eternal purpose of multiplication? Because God's thinking goes beyond my thinking. From God's perspective, multiplication goes beyond just filling butts and seats. You know, it's way more than just filling butts and seats. It's a nice, it's a fruit, you know, that we, we see. But, you know, that's temporal. If I just focus my eyes on that, you know, those, those people could decide to go to another church. It's time, church, for us to stir up our hunger for God. We're living in a time where if the church is not hungry... then we're going to watch a decline. And it's going to happen fast. It's going to happen before our eyes. We have to stir up our hunger. Well, I'm pretty hungry for God already. It's time to get hungrier, church. We have to get hungry for God. And so what I want to do is I want to give you three super practical ways to stoke your hunger for God. Super simple. To read, at least. I just want to pray real fast right here. Dear Lord, I just thank you, God. I thank you for this word. And I pray, Father, right now, if there's anything in me, anything in your people, God, that could harden our hearts in a way that we are not receptive to your word, God. I pray that you remove it. Soften our hearts right now to receive your, your, your words, God. Father, we want to hear from you clearly. We don't want to continue walking around the same, Lord. We want to leave this place different. I want to see multiplication from your godly, heavenly perspective, God. We pray for clarity in our minds 
And we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So each of these that I give you, they work simultaneously together. It's not a, a hierarchy. It's not number one. Oh, that's most important. Number two, that's kind of important. Three, get it when you can. These are all needed for, to have a healthy balance in our walks with God. We need all three of these. Somebody say, ask him. Somebody say, seek him. Somebody say, be like him. Now turn to your neighbor and say, ask him. All right, find a, a, a more pumped up neighbor and say, seek him. And now find your holiest neighbor around you. Be careful who you choose and say, be like him. <laughs> oh, y'all found him. Okay. So I want to turn you to Matthew 7, 7. Matthew 7, 7 says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. How many of you know that God wants to talk to us? Do you hear his, that's a plead in his voice as he speaks. Ask and it will be given to you, son or daughter. Seek and the door will be opened or, and I will find you. You will find me. Knock and the door will be opened. That's a plea in God's heart for his people. He wants to communicate with us. And he also wants us to communicate with him. You know, that's very important, right? That's a part of a relationship. It's communication between two people. It's commitment. It's time. It's energy. That's the way a relationship works. And the way we build our relationship with God is through prayer. You know, our communication with God is prayer. And as you get to know somebody, as you deepen your, your, your love and heart for that person, your hunger for that person grows, right? You know, my wife, we've been married for three years, and as I get to know her, well, this is how it's supposed to work. As I get to know her more, I, get, I draw closer to her. I want to know her more. I want to get to understand her more. And, and I realize that intentionality is, is what happens out of hunger. If you really hunger for someone, you will be intentional. You know, as we're growing in our marriage, you know, we have busy schedules, right? You know, you have to have your date night and you have to have family night and you, you have to have a structure in your time, right? You can't just, you know, when you're in the beginning, when you're dating, you know, I could call her, hey, let's go grab some ice cream. Let's just go and grab some ice cream. Spontaneous, you know. But as you, your schedule opens up and you, you have children, I have twin girls, and as we have children and have careers, we have to have structure because without structure, things get out of control. I want you to keep that in your mind. I want to point you, I've been reading this book. It's called The Fire That Never Sleeps, um, and we have it up here. I re highly recommend this book. Very powerful. One of the authors of the, this book is John Kilpatrick. And John Kilpatrick, if you don't know who that is, anybody know about the Brownsville Revival? All right. If you don't know about the Brownsville Revival, please research and just understand why we talk about revival so much. You research and realize what happens during revival. This revival that happened, it was a six-year span of time where the presence of God, the manifest presence of God landed in this church. And people were hit. The entire community was hit. The city was hit. The state was hit. I mean, there's people, the ripple of the Brownsville Revival has stretched all across the world. Okay? 200,000 lives saved. 
200,000 lives, people that didn't know Jesus came to Jesus during the Bronze Revival. And also I read that thousands of pastors that went to this revival actually took revival to their churches. That's what revival is all about. It's not, it starts in me, it goes to my church, and it keeps moving forward. John Kilpatrick, before the Brownsville revival happened, he, was, he had a thriving church. Uh, the church was doing really well. He even had a TV ministry that was doing really well. And he had this craving for revival. And he realized, though, he was feeling empty. Imagine that. A church full of people. I mean, as a pastor, that would be, you know, the ultimate, from an earthly perspective, that would be the ultimate thing, a, a thriving church. That's the first thing you think. What is a sexual pastor? A thriving church. But he was feeling empty. He got to the point where one day before his service started, he was sitting on his porch and he said, God, I don't want to preach today. This is John Kilpatrick. He said, I don't want to preach today. Because I'm tired of preaching things that I want to happen in my own life. Just imagine the emptiness he was feeling. He felt conviction. In that moment, he repented. And the Holy Spirit spoke specifically to him. The Holy Spirit said, seek me. That's what you need to do. And he realized, what happened to my prayer life? Oh, my goodness, my prayer life has disappeared with all the things I've been doing. I've disconnected with God. He repented and he turned back to God and prayer became the number one thing in his ministry. His church became a church of prayer. And then the result of that was a revival that hit 200,000. And so that's the man of God that I'm reading, uh, telling you about. And I say that because of this quote here. This is what John Kilpatrick said in the book that really stuck out to me. He said, some mistakenly assume that a prayer meeting needs to be spontaneous and unstructured in order to be spirit-filled and dynamic. Spontaneity is usually birth and structure. Without structure, there's no direction or vision for where you want to go. As I said, without structure in my marriage, things will fall apart in my relationship. Without structure in our, our, our relationship with God... Things will fall apart. Without structure in our prayer, it is easy to feel purposeless in our praying efforts. And I have a testimony about this because I was feeling this. A few months ago, I, I was feeling like I was seeing all these miracles happen. I was seeing Encounter Church by a, a church in the middle of a pandemic. I was witnessing these miracles, but I didn't feel like I was really a part of it. It was a conviction that I felt like, God, what, what am I missing what am I doing wrong? Because I was praying on, my, on the go. I was praying in my car when I had a chance. I was praying when I got home. If I'm sitting around doing nothing, I just shoot up a quick prayer. Was a, I'm like, I, I'm praying. But there was no structure in my prayer. Right. <laughs> and so what I realized is that that's what I need. And I was on the Bible app, and I realized that they started a new thing. It was prayerless. I'm just giving you my personal testimony of how this structure came together. And I saw these prayer lists, and I, and I started creating these prayer lists. And then and what I would do is I would have a morning prayer, and I would pray these certain prayers. And then I would have an early afternoon prayer. I would pray these certain prayers, and so on and so on. And the point is, is that now when I spontaneously pray, there's a foundation you know, there, I know what I'm pulling from already. It has a direction already. Okay, so what I do, now I feel more spiritually productive. 
I feel like when I see something amazing happen at our church, when I see people coming to the altar at my church, I feel like I'm a part of that now. I feel like, wow, God, you're using me to intercede for the people at my church. I feel more connected with God now. I feel more in sync with him. And the result of that is a deeper hunger for God. I'm getting hungrier for God through intentional prayer. So the first way for me to stoke my hunger for God is through asking him in intentional prayer. Somebody say intentional prayer. prayer. Number two, seek him. This is the second practical way for me to stoke my hunger for God, and that is through daily Bible reading. People laugh because we talk about that all the time. Super important. Matthew 7, 13, 14. It says this. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. On the wide road, there's many truths. Right? On the wide road, people get to decide on what they want. You know, I think that this is the right thing to do. Well, okay. I think this, okay, your truth is good too. You live your truth and I'm going to live my truth. Do you know why the, it's narrow? Because there's only one truth on that road, right? And I know, I know I hear this a lot, you know, that, you know, it seems exclusive. Seems exclusive, right? Well, in a way, it is exclusive because the only way to the Father or the only way to God is through the Father. So in that way, yes. But it's actually God. He calls everybody to that narrow road, right? He calls everybody to the narrow road, but only a few choose it because there's only one truth. And you can't stray away from the truth when you're on that road. The word of God is truth. You know, it's the lamp to our feet. It's the light to our path. If there's a light to my path, that's one path. There's only one direction I can go. The word of God is also this. It gives us an understanding of how God thinks. If you really want to understand how God thinks about situations, about things that you encounter in your life, you have to have a healthy relationship with God through your word. You have to know the way every situation is in the word of God. You have the answer to everything as you meditate on the word of God. I I start to understand the character of God. And when I understand the character of God, I want to know him more. I start to realize how he thinks about me. Something about when you realize what God thinks about me and all the stuff that I did, it changes some things, right? I start to realize, oh my, if he thinks this way of me, Imagine what he thinks about everybody else. If he thinks this highly of me, imagine how great he thinks of everybody else. Matthew 6, says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be given to you as well. But how am I going to know how to seek the kingdom of God if I don't know how it works? The word of God shows me how the kingdom of God works. That's the only way I can seek the kingdom if I know how the kingdom, where it is or what it does or any of that. His righteousness. How will I know his righteousness if I don't know the word of God? I have to know the word. As you learn more about how God thinks about you, his people in the world, in the world, our hunger deepens for God. The fruit of daily Bible reading is deeper hunger for God. Simple as that. 
That's the fruit of daily Bible reading. That is how you stoke your hunger. If you like, I feel like I'm hungry for God. It's more than just that. You know, you, a hunger for God is continuous. It's not just something that I have. I have a hunger for God. No, it's a lifestyle. Hunger for God is a continual thing through my life. So that means there's more that we need to do, right? That means you don't have the hunger for God. Like you don't just have it on you. You know, we talk about daily Bible reading. And I know there's no specific scripture that says you must read your Bible every day. But, you know, this is what I was thinking very simply. Why grow weekly in my hunger for God? Why grow monthly in my hunger for God? Hopefully not this. But why grow yearly in my hunger for God when I can grow daily in my hunger for God? That's a very simple way to think about it. The first practical way to stoke your hunger for God is to ask him. The second way to stoke your hunger for God is to And the third way to stoke our hunger for God is to be like him. Somebody say, be like him. The way to be like him is through fully committed holiness. Now, I could have called this holiness. I could have called this section committed holiness. But I called this fully committed holiness, and I want to show you why. Leviticus 19.2. Fasten your seatbelts. Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holy cow. The bar was, I wrote that in my notes. I was like, I have to say that. The bar is set high. And it's set high on purpose. Before I get there, I've also been reading this book here. It's called The Pursuit of Holiness. This, this, I'm putting these books up because I highly recommend you to, the, to these to understand where the process of my thoughts have been coming from. This is a really good one by a man named Jerry Bridges. And he brought up a very great idea that, that helped me realize how we think of holiness. And it's wrong. The way we've viewed holiness has been wrong. Because the way we have viewed it is victory versus defeat. Either I win my victory because I'm strong and wise and know my Bible and I pray, or I get defeated by sin because it overpowered me. Victory versus defeat. You know, when I say I'm defeated by sin, What I'm ultimately saying is that I'm not in control over sin. People of God, that should have did something to you. That should hurt you to hear that. That people that we say when we say I'm defeated by sin, we're given the notion that it was stronger than us and it overtook us. But how many of you know that when I give my life to Jesus, my sinful life is buried That weak spirit in me is buried. And then just like Jesus rose up, I also rise into a new life under the power of God. I'm no longer bound to sin. Sin can't beat me. Right? I can't be overtaken by sin. So it's not a defeat, a victory versus a defeat. It's obedience versus disobedience. Simple as that. Either I I know my word of God and I'm going to follow what the word of God says. And it's very clear. Everything is very clear in the word. There's no confusions. 
Even though I know the world says there's confusions about the word of God. Read your word of God and you realize there's no confusion. There's no gray areas. It's black and white. All right. So obedience means I follow what the word of God is, is saying. Disobedience means I decided on my own not to follow what I already know is right. That's what disobedience and what disobedience says is that I am the responsible. I am taking responsibility for my own sin. That whole defeat versus victory. You're saying that it I'm not I'm not in control of that. You know, I'm just a poor old sinner being saved by grace, you know, and sin can just whenever it wants to, it can just get on me and mess me. And then, but I'm going to pray it off and I'm going to continue walking in, in holiness. You can't just walk in holiness. You have to be fully committed to holiness. Jerry Bridges says this. I thought this was funny. He says, if we as Christians have not made a commitment to holiness in our lives, we are like a soldier going to battle with the aim of not getting hit very much. Just imagine, like I, love, I, I picture this, and you got your, your AK and your grenades, and you got your everything, and you're just sitting there, and the, the sergeant is walking around, are you ready? What is our mission? My mission is to not get hit that much, sir. Just imagine how crazy that would sound. For in war, my, I'm not trying to get hit at all. I don't want to get a bullet to the face. What if that, that's going to kill me? But this is how we view holiness. I'm just going to go into holiness. I'm just a poor old sinner being saved. Right, so I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say sorry. And then I'm going to keep it moving. That is not fully committed to holiness. You're setting yourself up for failure. Just like that, that, that uh, army dude. I don't know why I couldn't come. The soldier. <laughs> Thank you. Just like that soldier sitting there, like with the idea, I'm not going to get hit that much. You know, five bullet max, you know, as long as it doesn't go past five. No, you don't want to get hit at all. At all. This mindset is flawed because your aim should not be hit at all. What if that one shot kills you? I commit, or sorry, I read that. With this type of thinking, when temptation comes my way, I will fail. I will fail. And, you know, when it comes to holiness, a lot of times we, we view it as sexual sin. That's like the number one that pops in our head. You know, I'm pure, so I'm good. It's more than that. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 talks about the seven things that God hates. I love how the message translation actually says, and one more that he loathes with a passion. They added that right there. There's, six, there's seven things that God hates. One is eyes that are arrogant. That's pride. I felt the Holy Spirit talking to me one day. He said, that's Jesus repellent. He cannot be around pride. He cannot move if my heart is full of pride. If I don't allow the word of God to change me, no matter who's telling me, if it's the word of God, it's the word of God. You know, it doesn't matter if you you have a relationship or whatever. If the word of God is the word of God. It also says he hates a tongue that lies. Hands that murder the innocent. A heart that hatches evil plots. That's gossip. And unfortunately, gossip has ruined the church. You know, the church splits that happen, you know. It happens out of pride. It happens out of 
a person that hasn't fully committed into discipleship or fully committed under the authority of the, the house and, and they end up allowing pride to lead them astray, they start gossiping, start forming groups. Usually they form groups of weaker-minded people because you can manipulate those people. A lot of times a strong leader in that church is not going to be invited to that group, right? That would be awkward. There's an elephant in the room. So I'm just letting you see where the, the idea of why God hates it so much. It it's, splits apart things. Church is unity. You should have somebody here, and if you don't, talk to somebody. Everybody should have somebody here. If there's a confusion that you have about something that's said, we will talk. We will let you know about the confusion. We will have a conversation. He also hates feet that race down a wicked track. That deals with the sexual sin or any type of sin in that way. He also hates a mouth that lies. And this is the one that he loathes with a passion, a troublemaker in the family. Help us, Lord. Listen to this. Holiness is, not, is no less than conformity to the character of God. It's no less than conformity with the character of God. If I step below the character of God, I'm no longer in holiness. Repentance, right? <laughs> Daily, right? Hourly. If we had time every second, right? You know, if I fall under the character of God, then I am no longer stepping into holiness. The bar was set high in Leviticus 19.2. And as believers, we must adhere to this calling. Weakness in my flesh. Listen to this, and this hurt me. Weakness in my flesh is a sign that the Spirit of God doesn't truly live in me. Now, I did not just come up with that. I promise you. Romans 8.9. Now, when I was looking up this scripture i was looking for the translation that was the most straight to the point i end up finding that in the international children's bible but you would think you know they just kind of sugarcoat a little bit or something that no this is the most direct translation i heard and it says this but you are not ruled by your sinful selves you are ruled by the spirit if that spirit of god really lives in you But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, then he does not belong to Christ. It's right there. If I have the spirit of God living in me, I am no longer controlled by my sinful nature. If I don't have the spirit of God living in me, then I don't belong to God at all. Being fully committed to holiness means that my flesh, which is my sinful nature, is fully aligned with God. You know... As, as I was reading this and going to this, I was like, God, whoa. I mean, it's here in your word, but, but God, that bar, it's me, God. Like, that's a high bar. That's a high standard. And then he brought up to me the story of the rich man that came to Jesus. And how can I, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Woo! Sell your belongings and follow me. And he walked away, sad. 
And actually, Jesus was really sad. That's the person that was really sad in this story. Because Jesus, I can imagine, I'm just like, you know how hard it is for a rich man to make it into heaven. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to make it in heaven. And the disciples like, dude, what do you mean? Like, how can we make it into heaven? Like, it's not possible. God said, with me, everything is possible. Humanly speaking, it's not. Humanly speaking, being fully committed to holiness is impossible. You will try and then you will fall. And then you will try and you will fall harder. And then you will try a little bit and you will fall even harder. I tried it. I did that. I tried to win holiness in my own strength. And it did not work. And until we get out of this idea of victory versus defeat, either I beat sin or sin beats me, we will always live in that mindset of I can't do it. I just can't. I wasn't strong enough that day. Oh, today I, I didn't watch that movie that I know might have something in it that could mess with my purity. Oh, I, beat, I won today. I didn't watch that movie. Then the next day you watched it. Right? Sin beat you that day. But if I'm living in obedience versus disobedience, I have the fear of God, and I'm not about to play with God. That's going to mess with me. My conviction is that those videos are going to hurt me, and so I'm going to stay away, and I'm going to be obedient to God. That is fully committed to holiness. Fully committed holiness is a surefire way for my hunger for God to multiply. Somebody say, ask him. Seek him and be like him. I just went through three surefire ways for our hunger for God to be stoked habitually. And remember, you know, this hunger for God is the only, that's the way the door is open for me to understand the things of God, to understand multiplication. The only way is if I'm stoking habitually, right? It's not intentionally praying one day. It's a lifestyle of intentional prayer. It's not just reading my Bible every now and then. It's a daily. It's daily. It's not just seeking holiness, seeking him through or being like him in holiness one day. It's it's daily. And, you know, in the Bible, it gives us many times where the people of God decided to hunger for the things of this world more than they hunger for God. For example, Malachi, I want you to see God's response to when people's, when God's people stop hungering for him. It says this, oh, that there were were even one among you whose duty it is to minister to me. He's talking to the priests who would shut the gates so that you would not kindle fire on my altar uselessly with an empty, worthless pretense. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hand. Intentionally praying, daily Bible reading, fully committed to holiness is what stokes my hunger for God. And this is needed for me to understand the eternal purposes of multiplication. And hunger does something. When God's people start to hunger for God, something happens. A shaking in the atmosphere happens. 
revival starts to happen. God's people start to be redirected to God. Our eyes stop being so fixed on the things around us, our situations. Everybody has a situation. And when I start to have a deep hunger for God, I stop caring about things that don't matter. As I've grown closer to God, I stop caring about the little things that used to bother me. So many little things that would just get me off track in my mind. But as I get develop this hunger for God, it has allowed me to be directly focused on him. You know, revive is very important to encounter church. Revival is very important to encounter church. Actually, three of our core values here at Encounter Church is reach, disciple, and revive. And as I thought about this, I realized this, that in order for me to experience multiplication through me, I must experience revival in me. That's the way it's going to make sense. It's revival that has to happen in me. I need to be redirected to God, that I've gotten off in my prayer with God. I've gotten off with seeking God daily. I've gotten off in my holiness, and I need a readjustment. I need, my hunger needs to get stronger for God again. What is revival? Revival is simply this. It's a result of when the people of God hunger for God more than anything else, more than ideas. More than your love for other things, more than anything. You just hunger for God. That's all you want. That's all you care about. Revival looks like something, though. The first thing that, as I've been studying revivals and just been looking more into it, the first thing that happens is a conviction. A conviction is a state of being convinced and confident that something is true. So somebody heard some truth today, hopefully, and that truth has convinced you of something, that I haven't gotten something right, and I need to readjust. I need to realign with God. That's conviction. And when you are totally convinced that something is true, an action is required. Something must happen. You know, it was holy conviction that convicted the prodigal son to realize I'm foolish right now and I need to go back to my father's house because at least at my father's house, the servants are fed. It was holy conviction when Zacchaeus realized how wrong he was and gave half of what he had back to the people. It was holy conviction that made David realize I've sinned. And then out of conviction, there's a response. There's a confession, and that is repentance. 1 John 1, 8 through 9 gives a, a great understanding of what it looks like, what repentance really looks like. It, it says, if we say we have no sin, refusing to admit that we are sinners, we delude ourselves and the truth is not in us. His word does not live in our hearts. If we freely 
admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually, continually from all unrighteousness, our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity with his will and purpose. And maybe somebody in here went through this service and you got your pen out, ask him, got it. Seek him, been doing it. Holiness. Yeah, I'm doing all those things. But y'all, let's be real just for a second. If my community, because it's bigger than me, right? If my community has not been completely altered by the gospel, if our churches in Kennesaw aren't flooding with new believers, not people that went from one church to another, nothing against them, but I'm just saying that that's not the point. If my church is not flooded with new believers coming to Jesus, then people of God, we got work to do. We have repenting to do. We have more asking to do. We have more seeking to do. We have more places in our life that we need to get more holy. We need to raise the bar in our lives. It's no more lukewarm. We need to get on fire for God again. When the fire of God happens in me, multiplication can happen through me. That's the only way it's going to happen the right way. Or your focus is going to be on the wrong things. Oh man, my friend didn't come to church this week. I was a failure this week. That's not the way multiplication works. We need a hunger for God to understand the purpose. And there's two types of confessions. There's a confession. There's this confession that says, God, I feel bad about the sin. But there's still this like feeling that, you know, it's going to happen again. But then there's this kind of repentance. You not only feel bad about the sin, but you have developed a hatred for that sin. You develop a hatred for not intentionally praying. You develop a hatred for, for not continuously being in God's word. You, you develop a hatred for stepping out of alignment with the, the high calling of holiness that God put in our lives. And it ignites you to initiate war against that sin by the power of God. This type of confession says, I am going to rob this sin of everything it has taken from me. No more. Holiness is not going to ruin my relationship with God anymore. First, there's conviction, a confession of repentance, and then rejoicing. You know, there's a celebration in heaven every time a sinner turns back. There's a celebration because a multiplication just happened. There's a, do you realize a multiplication, that's the purpose. That's the beyond. A multiplication in heaven. Micah 7, 18, 19 says this. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. 
once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. Thank you, God. Everybody can stand. You know, multiplication goes beyond filling butts and seats. It goes beyond cool services and guest speakers. These are all great. It goes beyond great sermons. It goes beyond all those things. It's our lives being transformed inside out. That's multiplication. It's our neighbors, our neighbors' lives being transformed inside out. It's our city being transformed inside out. It's our nation being transformed inside out. And in order for us to see this happen, we have to get hungry. We have to get hungrier. Somebody here may not even know who Jesus is. And he's calling you today. He wants you to come home so you can enjoy this hunger because it's enjoyable. This hunger starts in our prayer, our Bible reading, our pursuit of holiness. If you don't know Jesus, it starts with simply accepting him into your life. Acknowledging that he died on the cross for you. And that you want to live your life with Jesus. Repentance is a catalyst to seeing God's power. And sometimes this may, you know, and I believe we'll see some of this today, some weeping, some shaking. Sometimes you fall in the spirit because that's what repentance does. But more than being touched, because that's not what it's all about, right? It's great. I love these things. But more than being touched, it's about a transformation. That's the, the purpose of repentance. We need a transformation of our minds, church. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. It's easy to conform to the pattern. It's easy, easy to go with the flow. But people called to God have to go against the grain. And we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Multiplication is revival. This morning, I just feel that we need to recommit our lives to Jesus again. That we need to come to God and recommit. Multiplication, I want it to be real to me. Because I've had this revelation. Now, I shared you the revelation I had, but you need a revelation of what it means. We need to repent this morning. Turning back to God and allowing him to change us, to transform us. This morning, I don't want 
necessarily people will have people here to pray for you but I'm opening the altar this morning for everybody whoever feels called to come up to the front and I believe that this is between you and God this morning I believe that God wants to speak to you directly this morning. And so as the music goes on, the altar is open. Give you my soul. I 
know, sometimes we just have to do something a little out of our comfort zone. Sometimes it takes more than just, you know, I'm not here to like pull you to the altar because it looks good or anything like that. I'm doing this because this is the things that God has done for me. That when I, I do something physically, something about doing something physically that welcomes God in because it steps out of myself for a second. Literally was in my house and felt conviction about I needed more hunger for God. And I started praying, Lord, I repent that I haven't been as hungry for God as I, I know I can be. I know it's in me to just hunger for you in every situation. And in my house, the presence of God came And I could not get up off the ground because his presence came and he just wanted to show me that I'm here. If you're really hungry for me, if you really mean it, then I will show you more of me. I will show you more. I will give you a a, a deeper understanding of my perspective, the way I see it. And so I challenge you to come to the altar. I believe that the Holy Spirit is about to be in this place. Come if you feel the Holy Spirit pushing you. Come. I feel the Holy Spirit saying, come son, come daughter. Repent. Revival will happen in you. You, your life will be re- redirected on me. Everything you do, you will, you will put it through me first. Every decision you make, you will make sure it's in alignment with me first. A deep hunger for your people, God. We hunger for you, God. We hunger for a move, God. A, a move, God. A revival in me so a multiplication can happen out of me, God. That it starts here in my heart. That my heart must be changed first, God. I pray for a transformation, a a renewing of my mind, Father. Cleanse me, God, of anything that is not of you, God. Every negative thought. Every darkness that was passed down to me, God, that can be interfering with my closeness, with my hunger for you, God, anything, clean it right now in the name of Jesus. Generational curses may be stepping in the way this morning, and we call it out right now in the name of Jesus. Anything that can be hindering us, Father. If pride is stopping me, God, if pride is what is stopping me, God, take it out right now. Pride hasn't gotten me that far in life. Some of us, pride has gotten you to the top, but you feel like you're on the bottom. It hasn't gotten you that far. 
It's time to release it this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.